the future. A relentless, desperate wasteland ravaged by nuclear war. With the destruction of the internet and search engines such as Google, accurate information about the past is traded like currency. Two brave travelers are commissioned with the dangerous task of going back through time to gather as much information as they can to find out about the late 20th and early 21st centuries in hopes that a future society may rebuild what was lost and avoid the horror of a smoldering radioactive planet. But there is a catch. The travelers journey back across eons of time is a one-way trip, leaving them stranded in the past. Wait, what? There's no way to communicate their findings to the future other than burying reinforced time capsules in the ground. In the hopes that one day recordings such as these will be unearthed to provide a glimpse of the world that once was. This is the mission of the crispy coated robots. And it must succeed. Hey, it's Jim. Hey, it's George. Oh, yeah. he cut me gotcha. off. Okay, well, yeah. I guess it's Joseph. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. Not yeah. so George goes not, not deflated. Not so I, fun going at the end, is it? I'm, 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 I think I'm done. <laughs> yeah, oh, he's, he's quitting. It's over. Matter of fact, I know you always go first on the things. Uh, I might, I might even go first on George. On you know what? Since you've made this bold move, you are going to go first today. Take I don't care time. what you guys want to do. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> all right george well welcome to show all about welcome to episode 188 188 episodes and today uh this is going to be a good one because we've never done anything like this for the home office in the future they want what they're calling one scene wonders and these are scenes in movies that you have an actor or an actress that it, they appear just in this one little scene and then you don't see them the rest of the movie, but that scene is so impactful. So it's more than a cameo. It's more than like, oh, wow, look, there was Stan Lee and, you know, Spider-Man 18 or whatever. Uh, it's, <laughs> well, that would be impossible because yeah. he's all right. Or RIP. But anyway, it's, it's, it's more than that. It, it, it's actually a scene that either changes the something in the plot or adds to it. But it's it has a gravitas to it. So one scene wonders. Uh, that is our first topic, uh, Mr. Johnson. I apologize for cutting you off. What is our second topic? Time to whistle. Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry, it's sorry. You songs got with Go whistling. Ahead, yeah, I can't whistle. You're right. Can anybody is... on the show whistle? And uh, nope, can't do it anymore. Tom can. Tom, we'll give you the mic if you can whistle. Nope. No, that's me. The Ben Bush. It's just ridiculous. It's yep. ridiculous. Anyways, songs oh, that feature whistling, right? <laughs> oh, Tom has a clip. Okay, Tom. <laughs> okay. We get it. That's so sad. We get it. What tune it is. Oh. Random okay, Andy a, Griffith. Just like a high, high B flat there. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, th- so this thanks, is pop thanks, songs. Tom, this I is guess. like pop songs. This isn't. Like... This isn't whatever that was. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I, think be like it, a... I think it's can be yeah considered a pop song because one of my entries 
is considered oh boy well we'll get we'll oh, get boy, there yeah. we'll get there i'm so, already like, not voting for whatever that is. <laughs> no you're gonna vote for it and you're gonna love it uh let's go ahead and start with george one scene <laughs> wonder george claimed it one scene wonder uh what's your number five george mine no, i don't like going first i just realized uh i like kind of easing oh, in oh, uh, but i'll do it is. i'll do it i will do it uh this is charlie sheen as Garth Volbrecht, Beck, something like that, in uh, John Hughes directed classic Ferris Bueller's Day Off. This is from 1986. And the plot for the future is after faking an illness to skip school, Ferris Bueller, played by a young Matthew Broderick, hits the streets of Chicago with his girlfriend and his rather uptight best friend. And uh, meanwhile, the school's principal, and Ferris's very resentful sister, Jeannie, played by the wonderful Jennifer Grey. They're both trying to catch him skipping school. And I don't exactly remember what happened, but near the end of the film, Jeannie is in a police station sitting next to this stranger, Charlie Sheen. And uh, the first thing he says to her in the movie is drugs. And of course, she thinks that he's offering drugs. And, uh, you know, she's like, no, no, but he's trying to find out if that's what, what she's in for. But anyway, uh, he is very handsome and, uh, she subsequently makes out with him. And afterwards, uh, he gives her some, some advice about her problem about her says, you know, maybe it's not, maybe it's not your brother. Maybe it's you, but the punchline is that after all this, he says, Hey, I've, I've got a, a, a guy that you can talk to. That's, that's good to talk to. And it turns out it's, it's Ferris, you know, so, um, and just that look of disgust on Jennifer Gray's face, but it's rumored that Charlie Sheen stayed awake for 48 hours to get that kind of, kind of wasted, ragged look. Uh, but that is my number five, Charlie Sheen in Ferris Bueller's day off. All right, Joseph, you're number five. Smoking cigars has never been as funny as between Gene Hackman and uh, <laughs> and uh, what's his name? Uh, Peter Boyle. Boyle. Uh, yeah. Peter Boyle and yeah, Young Frankenstein. Yeah, this is a great scene. Uh, I watched. I recently watched a documentary on the making of Young Frankenstein, and they said that they started to call Gene Hackman in. You know, he was he was doing all these serious roles and oh, yeah. they, French they connection. yeah, French yeah. connection, the conversation, you know, and all this. And so they called him in and he was really fighting to have more yeah. scene time because he enjoyed it so much uh going on there. So uh yeah, my number five, uh Young well, the, Frankenstein. This is my Gene number Hagman, four. The, the yeah. blind man and the monster. The the he's a priest, he's an old blind priest that is prayed to the Lord for companionship. And the second the prayer ends, Peter Boyle is Frankenstein. Yeah. Comes in. And you know, that trying to feed him with that soup ladle, you know, and it's, it's so good. Hackman so good. had remarkable uh, comedic timing in it. Yes. Oh yeah, he did. He did. Uh, and he plays it completely straight and that's what, that's what makes it. But yeah, that's my number four. So the future will know about that. All right. <laughs> My number five. Now, Charles Flesher is a comedic actor. He's known as the voice of Roger Rabbit, also Carvelli. And welcome back, Cotter. My name is Carvelli. I live in New York. I am so tough. Ate my soup with a fork. 
And, <laughs> and also, if you're an 80s kid who loves stand-up comedy, his routine, Mo Leads, where he did this kind of weird science thing. But he's never been more creepier in a real-life scene that happened in the movie Zodiac, where he plays uh, Bob Vaughn uh, to Jake Gyllenhaal's Robert Graysmith towards yeah. the end of the movie. Um, Jill and Hall goes to visit him, thinks there's some clues, and realizes that Bob Vaughn says, I got some stuff in oh, the yeah, basement. Just, yeah, let, let's go look in the basement. Yeah. So <laughs> you have this very creepy scene where he's in the basement. Nothing actually happens, but you see the fear on Jill and Hall's face the whole time to get out. And then this is a real event that happened and almost didn't make it oh, into yeah. the movie, uh, according to the filmmakers, David Fincher. But uh, when you see Jill and Hall run up and escape and get to, to the door and it realizes it's locked from the inside, he uh, Fletcher comes Fletcher comes up and just calmly unlocks it and gives him a creepy look. But the whole scene, super creepy. Mm-hmm. He thinks that this guy might actually be the Zodiac guy and he's about to be the next victim. So this is the one scene he's in. He's always known for his comedy, but Charles Fletcher in Zodiac as Bob Vaughn is my number five one scene wonder. So let's move on now to our uh, whistle songs. George, what's your number five? So my number five is going to be uh, from 1981 from the album Freeze Frame. It is Centerfold by Jake Al's band. So the song describes this guy who had a, a crush in high school on this innocent girl in homeroom. And years later, he's looking through a girly magazine, as the song says. And he sees her in the centerfold and, uh, it just, it rocks his world. So centerfold is my number five. Nah, and do it. Dang it. We'll just sing it. We'll sing the whistle. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Joseph, what's your number five? I know you guys are going to, you, you're not going to forgive me for this one. I had to put it in. My wife made me put this one in. What? Uh, yeah, I was talking to her about the literature, so you got to put it in. And so when we get to our honorable mentions, you know, you're going to be like, why didn't you put that in? I should have put it in. Uh, I'm talking about my is, number is five there, choice hey, is 1988, hey. Bobby McFerrin's Don't well, Worry, Be Happy. Tell tell your wife she's a good choice. That's my number four. Oh. Really? Yeah. It makes it in. I said, oh, they're going to they're, they're gonna hate me for this. Don't worry, she's, be happy. She's like, and, and she was right. She she saw her, showed me the way. She's like, look, it can't just have whistling in the song. She goes, the, the whistle needs to mean something in the song. And this definitely sort of stands out in what? the song. What does that mean? Well, there's some songs, there's some songs like, uh, and if you have it on there, I'm telling you right now, I can't vote for it because of this reasoning. Love is a battlefield. Uh, if you have that in there, because it comes in at the very end of the song for like five or six seconds. So technically it has whistling in the song, but it's not very, you know, like I'm, it, I'm going for quality of whistle. Well, I mean, the, then you disqualify some other songs that whistle at the end. Like I'm one that's sure that's on George's list. You're going to disqualify that too, but we'll get to that when we get no, there. No, I mean, I, I have one that is at the end, but it's very significant at the end. So, so, all right. All right. All right. All right. That's the one. So don't worry. Be happy. I, makes I don't it know. In. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, well, yeah. Y'all both had it, right? Yeah. 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 All right. Okay. So my number five comes from the fifth studio album by Billy Joel called The Stranger. And I'm my talking about one. a song called The Stranger. You don't get a number stronger four. whistle on do, 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 do. and then you also have a comeback 
and, and it reprise later in the album too. So yeah. uh, great whistling part that before it kicks into the whole groove thing, talking about the stranger. And it's so strong. Like I said, it comes back in the reprise at the end. So anything you guys would like to add since it's a triple play here, George, what you got? Well, so the producer, uh, Phil Ramon, um, Billy Joel, he, he wanted to have something where it started off with this little prelude or theme and then slam right into the song. Like we hear it do like we hear it do like it does. Uh, and so he played the chords on the, on the piano to show Phil Ramon and he whistled along with it. So like a melody like this and he, and he whistled it. And then he says, what instrument do you think that, that we should put, you know, like saxophone or clarinet or, or, you know, guitar solo. And Phil said, no, you just did it. It needs to be a whistle. So that's how it came to be. And very distinctive. My number one, Joseph, what, what number was this for you? Four. Four. Wow. And your number four as well, Jim. No, my number five. We're only on our number five. five. Don't jump down there, George. I know you're first and everything. I'm all out of. You're discombobulated and all that stuff. All right. right, So let's go ahead and move on now to number four uh, scene. One scene wonder. What you got? Number four for me uh, is Gene Hackman as the blind old priest in Young Frankenstein. So, All right, Joseph, you're number four. The very memorable. Drexel Spivey in 1993's uh, True Romance, played by Gary Oldman. Uh, this is only one scene, and it's so good because he plays this this sort of pimp that oh. is sort of <laughs> low life. I mean, it's it's sort of he just embodies everything that's just like trashy about life, you know. And he sort of has this New Orleans type accent. But basically, whenever uh, Oldman, we've talked about this before, whenever he got the role, he's like, okay, who is this? And it's like, basically, the the character was described as a white guy who thinks he's a black pimp. He's like, got it. And he goes goes with it. It's such a great scene. I was really surprised whenever I was doing the research. I'm like, surely he was in more than one scene. But no, No. he was only in one scene in the entire movie. It's so good that uh, I had to put him as my number four. Four. This is this is great. Yeah. Uh and he is so talk about freaky scenes. Uh he he's like the uh Bob Vaughn thing where any moment anything can happen and spoiler, it does. It does. Oh, yeah. Uh but yeah, check out our uh Gary Oldman uh roles episode if if you <laughs> want to hear more about that, because that actually made my my list in there. So all right. Uh, uh, my number five is Rahad Jackson, played by Alfred Molina in the movie Boogie Nights. Uh, Dirk uh, Diggler and Reed Richards uh, apparently are low on money and they can't pay for their recording uh, of Feel the Heat. So they <laughs> resort to uh, two things, prostitution, and also they try to rob a drug dealer uh, with uh, half a kilo of baking soda as cocaine. <laughs> so yes, we have two great songs. As soon as the gates open, you hear sister Christian and you have, uh, you have this kind of whacked out drug dealer played by Alpha Molina. You have this other person in the room, uh, Vietnamese uh, kid or man, just popping fireworks. The entire Firecrackers. Time. Oh, just, I know. Just adding to the intensity of the scene. 
And well, then, he's holding a gun under his chin at, yes. for part of it. Yeah. So uh, just a crazy performance by Alfred Molina. It goes all the way from Sister Christian. Then you have a little bit of Jesse's girl. Then you have a gunfight and it's all over. But it is an amazing scene. And it it really is kind of a. Uh, now he does this all in a bathrobe in in his underwear. Yes. Yeah, yeah, uh, the know? whole time just kind of like talking to these guys, getting more high as he's talking more. And then the best part is like when the the build up on Sister Christian, he's like, "Hold it right there!" Dun 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 dun. dun. Oh, Motoring. So, yeah. so it's great so stuff. good. Alpha Molina what is my number four. Right? This is my number two, Jim. Oh, this good. is my oh, number two. Very nice. So it it makes it in. Make it. Yeah, yeah, it's it really is. I mean, there's so many standout performances in this movie, but this by far is one of the best ones. So. Yes, definitely. All right, chasing him down the street. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, great stuff. All right, Excellent. so we are on to our number four whistling song. George, what do you got? So this is John Sebastian's attempt to write a song like the Supremes' "Baby Love," even though it doesn't sound anything like that uh it comes out completely different this is daydream by the love and spoonful this is my number three too oh this nice. is my number three. Oh my gosh what? guys well, three go number threes i don't well, know George, george's number four this is, this is my oh, number four, four. Yeah. okay we will go ahead and put that on the board boys but and girls it, okay three for you jim three for me four yes, for george crazy but uh it's just a song about doing nothing uh just enjoying the day you know very different time and place uh what what do you guys have to add to it well this is uh you know when the song came out there uh it really influenced a lot uh the beatles gave credit for a good day sunshine that it influenced good day sunshine on it uh as well as sunny afternoon by the kinks you know they they sort of gave it credit and all that uh it it comes from basically you know inspiration from the supremes and jug band music so yep quirky 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 yeah and you know i'm always a big fan of the 11 spoonful i mean do you believe in magic their catalog is really good i think it's great that we represent them here in this whistling song episode so i'm excited about (laughs) uh joseph what's your number four the stranger my number four is don't worry, be happy. So we are back now. All <laughs> right. One, one scene wonders, George, what do you got? That did not take long. Okay. This is Dave Baista as Saper Morton in Blade Runner 2049. So Baista plays a Nexus eight replicant robot, humanoid robot, whose backstory in the, in the movie we learned was a combat medic. And at the birth of uh, Rachel and Deckard's child, so at the start of the movie, Ryan Gosling's character, a Blade Runner for the LAPD, Officer K, also a robot replicant, is dispatched to where Saper Morton is hiding on the outskirts of, of the city. He's a pro- protein farmer or whatever, uh, but he's a renegade robot. And the two fight it out, and Gosling, being the younger, more advanced model, uh, just takes him down and... Uh, but the character has this cryptic line in there before he dies. And it's, it becomes this thread throughout the film. When Kay, the Gosling character asks him why he did it all. Saper replies that he wouldn't understand because replicants like Kay have never seen a miracle. And that line just kind of haunts the rest of, of the movie. It haunts, uh, the officer, like, what does that mean? I haven't seen a miracle. And he comes to realize that the baby 
has been shielded and, and hidden uh, from the authorities all these years. And they're, the culture is right on the cusp of finding out replicants can conceive. So anyway, Saper Morden sets it all in motion uh, in 2049. And I think it's Dave B- Batista. I don't Batista, know how you what it. Uh, I don't know yeah. how you said his last name, but I, yeah, I was trying to figure out who yeah, that was. And I realized, yeah. Joseph so. <laughs> Johnson, what is uh, your number three one scene wonder? The quintessential one scene wonder is uh, Alec Baldwin in Glengarry Glen Ross, the 1992. Uh, this is my number two. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is always be closing speech. I Put mean, it's so coffee down. <laughs> Put that coffee down. Uh, Coffee's for closes only. Oh geez. It's so Jack, good. I think Jack Nickel uh, Jack uh, Lemon just pissed his pants. Yeah. He plays Blake, the basically the man sent by Mitch and Murray, the company's COs, to get them started. And he gives them a motivation speech that I think has just it's, become I part wasn't even of, there. It burns me still. You, you what know, was it like if you if you must say all the most, you get a car. If you if you're second, you get a uh, steak knife, steak knife. and steak then knife. third, you're fired. <laughs> you're yeah. fired. Jack Lemon is just A like, B C A always B B C closing always be closing. Terrifying. I tried Jeez. to t- show that to one of my uh, sales staffs, and they didn't get it. I'm like, come on, guys. <laughs> oh my gosh. Would you What's like to have a sales is- manager like this? There's an SNL parody of this. Yes. Uh, where he they're they're playing uh, elves. At Santa Claus oh, <laughs> sends him uh, down there. He's like, <laughs> he gives the same type of speech. It's hilarious. So, yep, that's my number three. The All what's right. crazy is you know this was a, a David Mamet play originally. Yes, and this character and this scene is not in the play. This is the best scene in the movie. And New Line that's- Cinema they they wanted something to kick the movie off. And actually, this scene, it gives momentum with what Al Pacino does and Kevin Spacey and and ultimately what Jack Lemmon does. Uh, That's what powers the response. That's the reaction to it. Uh, But they wanted something to kick the movie off, and it just works like this verbal explosion. Uh, But, uh, yeah, always be closing. So, uh, so Jim, it was your number two. George, it was what for you? My my number two as well. Oh wow! There All you right. go. So it well, makes my it. number three uh, actor Gene Jones, supporting actor for many years, started his career in The Great Santini as a bartender. Of course, that's the movie Robert, Robert Duvall hits uh, right. Michael with the bat, uh, from Caddy. Come on, baby, you gonna cry? You gonna cry? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, many projects later, including The Hateful Eight and a couple other ones, he actually has one of the greatest scenes of all time, most tense scenes of all time, in the movie No Country for Old Men as gas station proprietor, where he takes on Anton Chagall and a game of coin toss. And of course, this guy is such a great character actor. He looks like any any kind of checkout gas station person you would see in any small town and just the intensity between him and the whole uh the whole coin toss well, and what if what if i don't want to call it yeah, yeah so. that blows his mind like no <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. you you've got to yeah you got to so you have this great scene in fact 
every time I see this movie come up, this is the scene they always show is like a highlight from the movie No Country. Oh, it's great! It's so and the, and I don't think you get that. It's 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 to the tango thing, you know. Uh, it's it's a great performance by who plays the, the villain again? Bardone. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, Javier Bardem or whatever. Bardem, yeah. I think it's Baista. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't work if you have two. And Gene Jones, the, the great uh, supporting actor, is my number three for playing that gas gas station uh, proprietor in the movie No Country for Old Men. Thought to give a sporting uh, supporting actor a, a good shot here of making our list into the future. So okay, hang, uh, on, hang on a minute here. Let me get this fixed here. Okay, is it, I believe it's time for intermission already. Can you believe it on this show? so many great uh matches already we have three for each category yeah. so our uh intermission today caitlin presents bumper cars enjoy there's always that one sad kid that gets stuck in the corner and can't uh-huh. get out <laughs> the other part with the with the father actually steering for the little kid that can't turn yeah. the wheel. Yeah. <laughs> I always enjoyed the spark from the chicken wire that was on the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we are back from bumper cars. You guys enjoy that? Did Not we do really. an episode on bumper cars? That's like carnival rides. Like carnival rides somewhere. Yeah. Well, before yeah. you got here, when when the yeah. show was still good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, right. please let's, note, I don't know, audience Joseph, members, there's a hostility happening right, George, right now. Okay, let's let's, <laughs> wait, just, let's wait. hey, let's make Joseph, it better. It's just low hanging fruit, brother. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> uh even though All you right. did park in my spot today uh i love you it's just low-hanging fruit and i just i can't help it i can't george help uh it. give us your low-hanging uh selection for yeah, i got uh, your whistle, low-hanging whistle right song <laughs> number three what you got uh it is sitting on the dock of the bay by otis redding 1968 uh the whistling wasn't planned i learned recently um that it's just an ad lib that he put on there uh, and unfortunately, I think many know this, but Redding died in a plane crash about a month before this song was was released in 1967. Um, but BMI, the music licensing company, named this as the sixth most performed song in the 20th century, over six million performances. So I don't know what the other five are, but you know, go ask BMI. But sitting on the dock of the bay. Just watching the tide roll. What's funny is, uh, Joseph, Jim, and I, we perform this. Neither one of us can whistle. So we usually <laughs> get somebody out of the audience yes. uh, to come up on stage and whistle. Sometimes that works. Oftentimes <laughs> they whistle worse than we do. And uh, now, you get now, a whistle there's flute. Just, now there's just... <laughs> bit all over the microphone uh <laughs> but it's always fun it's a it's a great song and when it does work it's it, it's really great 
You know, What's but, cool about this song is it's the first posthumous number one single in the U.S. This is my number one. Posthumous. Oh, nice. Nice. Posthumous. Posthumous. But posthuman. Posthuman. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give him that, but I think it's called, oh, I think it's posthumous. I'm not, I, uh, it is. It's Otis, posthumous. Otis Redding <laughs> was a, a posthuman <laughs> robot. Posthuman. From the, posthuman. <laughs> th- this is an episode, we're not going to pronounce anything right. So. Okay. <laughs> 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 Sitting on the Duke of the Bay. All right, uh, Jay jo- Joey Asif. Joey Asif, what is your number th- uh, three? Daydream. Okay. Yeah. Oh, oh sorry, sorry. Duke of the Bay was what? What for you? Number one. That's num. That's my number one. Oh wow! Right. Okay. Right now, I'm four for four, guys. Oh wow! I'm four Very for nice. four. Yeah. There you go. I'm I'm three for four. All right, my number three was Daydream. So we are now back to One Jeez. Scene Wonders, number two. First, first fifteen minute uh, show ever. So. <laughs> what you got, number two, One Scene Wonder, George? Uh, it is Alec Baldwin and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. My Coffee two, is for closers. That's my number two, also, Joseph. What's your number two? Alfred Molina in Boogie Nights. All right, we are okay. Back. We're back. <laughs> <laughs> we are back to number two whistle song, George. Okay, what do you got? so this is uh, the great John Lennon. Uh, he actually wrote this song when he was in the Beatles. They even recorded it. Uh, the title was "Child of Nature," but on the 1971 Imagine album, the song "Jealous Guy." So John, John Lennon confronts his fits of jealousy that kind of his whole life kind of controlled him and just uh interesting he had this real sense and feeling of inadequacy uh but great great whistling jealous guy john Lennon. all right very nice joseph you're number two that was my number six george that was the one that i was contemplating putting rather than don't worry be happy so yeah you should i'm right there this. with you your wife messed you up is all she I'm messed me say up here, so. so uh my my final entry is my number two which is by paul simon me and julio down by the school oh, yard 1972 that is, that is some feverish whistling too yes it is that's why i really liked it a lot uh i i i like this song i think this is a great song you know it comes from uh his his uh solo album uh and it's the second single it you know, reached number 22 on the billboards. What can I say? I just really like it. I, I like the song. What and, was it that they were calling the cops on? Do you think it was underage? Like there's a, he says in interview I read, he said that he didn't know and really didn't care because a lot of people were asking him like, you know, what do they find when they talk about mama pajama, you know, yeah. on it and they get called to the police station to report a crime. And he says, He's not really sure. He he's not really sure. You know, they apparently, you know, they get saved by a radical priest. That's sort of you know, uh, part of the whole the whole you know social movement context and stuff like that. But he goes, not really sure. So that's his writing style. He's like, I don't. Thanks for nothing, Paul Simon. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) All right, my number two comes from the hit album Breakfast in America by Supertramp. It's a song called Goodbye Stranger, uh, written by Rick Davies. And before they go into their big ending, Goodbye Stranger, it's been nice. You have this kind of little breakdown and this nice little whistle going on. Now, it doesn't say if it's Rick Davies or Roger Hodgson or any of the other members of the band. It's just kind of a nice little break before things start to kind of kick up again in the song. I always liked it. 
always it's kind of a, a what you called uh unre- not not as respected whistle it's not not as uh lauded as the other whistles but i do want to give it some love today the goodbye stranger whistle from super tramp is my number two whistle song nice. all right nice. we are now now to number one song. number one one scene wonder george what do you got this is gonna seem like a kind of out there entry but uh just uh hear me out it's gloria foster as the Oracle in the matrix from 1999, the first matrix movie, the whole movie keeps playing with these ideas of free will versus determinism is a kind of a major theme that they've got going in there. And this idea is personified in this one scene with the character of the Oracle. So she's very mysterious yet kind of this cozy little grandmother, very familiar uh, figure in the role. And it is a master class, I think, what the Wachowskis did of presenting all this heavy exposition while the plot, keeping the plot moving forward. And what's crazy is how late in the film this scene arrives to be the scene about exposition. It's kind of in the middle of the movie, but the first half of the movie is leading up to, we got to take him, we got to take Neo to the Oracle, to the Oracle, to the Oracle. And then when Keanu Reeves makes it there, uh, and the flower pot falls over. Was that, you know, and was that always going to happen or did he really knock it off? Can you make change and, and all these real heady, it's, it's uh, a, concepts. It, it, it's the, it's the concept. It's the John Calvin concept of, uh, free will right. versus self-determination. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. But, uh, after he leaves there, the movie kind of shifts, uh, because that's when we start to see the betrayal of Cypher spoiler uh and <laughs> and things that start happening as as a result of this and and then it just it ramps up the whole second half of the movie uh from this one little piece and everything unfortunately she passed away the actress uh passed away gloria foster whenever they made the second movie and they kind of had to hardwire the reason why she looked different and all this it was nonsense but uh uh, this first movie, well, the it, sequels it was, just don't watch them. Just don't watch them. Yeah, she was in yeah, the Matrix. They, He's not becoming a white man with gray hair. We don't know why. <laughs> How has it happened? Pretty <laughs> much, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, my number one is Gloria Foster as the Oracle. Yeah. All right, Joseph, your number one. Would you well, like that has, that has a no. that has a good chance, George? Because I only have one honorable mention. And that was it. So again, that was like my six, my unofficial six entry. So that has a good chance of making it. My number one. Uh, it's been done so many times, you know, like mimic. You know, people doing impersonations of it, and it's Christopher Walken in Pulp Fiction, nineteen ninety four. This is where he plays Captain Coons, and he gives, uh, you know. Uh, uh, a watch to a little boy that grows up to be the boxer. I can't remember. He's played by Bruce Willis and it's a flashback. And it's one of those things. It's a, it's such a great backstory kind of moment. None of it could have been done without the performance of Christopher Walken looking in the Uh, camera, giving the, the point of view from the child and just talking about like, what he he's had to do to 
give him this watch. And I'm not going to go into it because if you haven't seen it, you need to see it. He it's had it great. in his ass. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jim. <laughs> spoiler. <laughs> yeah, he gets a spoiler alert. Got it from his grandfather in Tallahassee or something. And exactly. Yeah, so. Passed down and passed down. And then Christopher Walken episode, so. it's mentioned. All yeah. right. My number one asked the very important questions. Why was Kennedy killed? Who benefited? And who had the power <laughs> to cover it up? Who? I'm talking about Donald Sutherland as Mr. X in one of the most brilliantly edited scenes in the 90s, probably of all movies, where he kind of puts all these conspiracies together, talking to Kevin Costner on the park bench. Sutherland is so plugged in, and we talked about on the show that they originally wanted Brando to play Mr. X. Right. So it would have been a different delivery, but uh, so good. It's the one scene I could just watch over and over again, just because the the music is so great building up to his his whole... and. To be able to do that that whole long speech, uh, <laughs> it's 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 pretty lengthy. It's and Costner's just sitting there listening the whole time, and it's just so that's dramatic. some good acting. Yeah, just yeah. Sit there and listen to Donald. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it is it is so good the, the the acting, the editing, everything, and this is kind of the one scene that really kind of gets you invested in the movie to see all these conspiracies kind of cooked up, you know the paper with Kennedy saying he was killed before he was killed and all these kind of weird kind of things he puts together and Sutherland delivers, delivers it greatly. So my number one has to be from JFK, Mr. X Donald Sutherland. So we are on very now nice to our number one whistle song, George, what you got? Uh, Billy Joel, the stranger. All right, Joseph, what you got sitting on the deck of the bay. Otis Redding. All right. And get ready. My number one. Uh oh, why is he standing up? <laughs> now this Sit is down, the, Jim. this is a very this is a very uh, um, overlooked and underappreciated effort by the Walt Disney. Is this going to be Andy? Oh, okay. No. Oh no! No. Nineteen seventy-three. Nope. Nineteen seventy-three. They hired the one and only one of my personal heroes, the legendary Roger Miller, to do the score for Robin Hood. And Rob, he has a great song on this called Whistle Stop. So Whistle Stop kind of, it, it has this kind of real interesting opening of the movie where all these characters walk out to Whistle Stop, but it didn't stop there. The tune was so great. The tune was so great that they had to actually bring it into the 2000s. They actually had to speed it up super fast and they had to actually have it released by a uh, novelty artist named Hampton the Hamster. To become the hamster dance. So Roger Miller's oh, I know. whistle stop. I like it. I like it in Robin Hood, but yeah. yes, it's a Robin. Then that's the one I'm voting for. But I'm just saying it definitely had some legs to it. Whistle stop from Robin Hood, the great you, Roger you Miller. You go whistling. for Disney, and you don't go for a whistle while you work by the seven no years. no 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 oh that's wow a, no, that's, that's, <laughs> this is this song this entire song is whistling and this part is whistling roger miller whistle stop number one no doubt the greatest whistling song of all time all right so we're done. Uh, honorable mention for me, whistle song. I couldn't put it in because it was a theme song, but definitely the Andy Griffith theme, theme song called The Fish and Hole was uh, honorable mention for me. Um, any whistle song honorable mentions? 
Yes. Uh, I'm going to let George go first, though, because I got a list. So no, go no, ahead, George. You go ahead. <laughs> okay. So, uh, you know, I know we're old and most of my entries were like <laughs> the er- most recent ones, 80s, but really, uh, uh, Polyphia, who is a Plano oh. band uh, that is probably my favorite band right now. Uh, they came out with playing God in 2022. It's been blowing up on the internet. You know, it's like guitar, you know, virtuoso, you know, playing uh, nylon strings and all that, but it is amazing. They have a whistle on there, uh, which is good. Wind of change by the Scorpions, 1990 <laughs> patience, guns and roses, 1988 mm. walk like an Egyptian, the Bengals, 1986 tighten up uh. the black keys, 2010 centerfold. We got centerfold on there uh. and uh jealous guy, which was going to be my, my entry, uh, oh. 1971. So there you go. That's my list. George, your whistle songs. Uh, yeah, all of those that he said. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, for One Scene Wonders, for me, I will mention is Adrian Brody as Salvador Dali in Midnight in Paris. Oh. Um, also have um, Dean <laughs> Dean Stockwell in uh, Blue Velvet. Super creepy. Oh. One oh, yeah. scene, Candy. And then also, I wasn't sure if he yeah. was in two scenes. Just hits he- him in the stomach. Yeah. <laughs> But he wouldn't have made my list. I wasn't sure if he's in two scenes, but John Candy and JFK too. I'm pretty sure he's in one scene, but I'm not sure. So that's why he's on my honorable mention, yeah. not on my real list. So, so I do have Christopher Walken in Pulp Fiction. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, Gene Hackman too. I did have your your choice, Gene Hackman too. So uh, Drew Barrymore in Scream. That was a real shocker because you think she's one of the main characters and then she just dies. Uh, spoiler yeah. uh, at, at the very beginning. Um Donnie Wahlberg in the sixth sense. Unrecognizable. Unrecognizable. I mean, he is, he is the one that sets the whole sixth sense in motion. If, if you've seen the movie, uh, where he confronts Bruce Willis, uh, very early on. And then that's it. You don't see him anymore. And then finally, Martin Scorsese in his movie, taxi, taxi driver, driver. Yeah, in, yeah. in the, in the back seat. So, let's move on to now to our voting uh that's kind of okay. like our incidental music what do we got here uh we we got so many great selections and whistling songs all we need is one more oh come on can we whistle this i am sorry uh austin willis has something to say to us guys what you talking about willis uh, austin willis <laughs> what you talking about titles willis? his letter i'm shattered at your omission. Uh, okay. Boy. He has a problem with episode 186, best yo-yo tricks and best breaking glass hey, moments. Uh, you, you know what? I had a problem with that episode too, and I was in <laughs> it. So, <laughs> uh, He says, uh, how could you guys forget one of the best demises of a Bond villain at the end of Jane, the James Bond classic Goldfinger when Bond and Goldfinger wrestle? In a private plane destined for the White House, the golden pistol goes off and shatters the side window. Physics be damned. The cabin pressure is lost. And the rotund 300-pound actor, Gert Frobe, momentarily corks the window before being sucked out of the window's vacuum like Augusta Gloop in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It is a true best over-the-top death in the franchise and deserves to be mentioned on your list. You know what? I don't. 
I don't no. remember it. I don't remember. Oh honestly. my gosh! Yeah, the There's end, so many much is, better scenes in that movie. It is hilarious because like they really like they're they're wrestling. They're in like in this like little jet plane kind of thing. Yeah. They shoot the glass shatters, of course, cabin pressure, you know, but. <laughs> This, you know, the actor is really big and somehow he gets sucked through this 14 by 14 inch window. Like, mm-hmm. like, uh, like they show the window and then they show his, his body. It's like the window's like three foot big. And it's sort of funny. You need to go and watch it because I watched it after reading this, uh, this email. I, I went back and watched it. It's absolutely hilarious so uh you know what austin we we missed out we we forgot about nah, it but you're I'm absolutely right it's great scene I think we're sorry crazy. he got sucked out the window how about yeah. that i think i think austin deserves more austin we are sorry jim is his, sorry he says he's not name? but he's willis what you know about willis <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> wow all right there boys and girls we're gonna go with whistling songs first because we got four of those <laughs> If you keep doing that, that is definitely not getting a vote. Okay. Uh, the daydream uh, song by love and spoonful sitting on the dock of the bay. Otis Redding, the stranger, Billy Joel, don't worry, be happy. So those are guaranteed to go into the future. Mm. What we have to choose from. Go ahead, Jim. The whistle stop from Robin hood. Okay. That's enough. Super tramp. Goodbye. Stranger uh paul simon me and julio down by the schoolyard wait i just put school down by this up oh, that's a different song that's, down by that's the school the, yeah. yeah sorry <laughs> not as good as the first the second one okay the school uh yeah schoolyard totally different <laughs> uh jealous guy by john lennon and then finally centerfold by jake Osborne. Mm. i'm saying jealous guy that was my number six what about right. the Andy Griffith theme song or whistle stop? You guys got to think about pure whistling here. <laughs> pure whistle. Hamster dance. I mean, come on, guys. Pure whistling. <laughs> little, little Wayne. You know why it was a better chance if they wouldn't have had that stupid remix? That stupid remix is awful. It hurt it. The, yeah. best, it hurt the, it. the best lyric about well, There we whistling. go. Jealous guy. Don't worry. Be happy. The stranger sitting on the dock of the bay. You know, you could actually say the stranger... Talking, uh, forget it. Never mind. I was going to try to make it like all work. Well, Stranger best, talking uh, to the jealous guy. Don't worry, be happy as they're sitting on the dock of the bay daydreaming. But uh, the best yeah. whistling lyric was by Little Wayne on one of his songs. I best ever had. It was, I'll make that P whistle like the Andy Griffith theme song. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you put that in there? All right. One good. <laughs> Happy to report that Alfred Molina in Boogie Nights as Rahad Jackson, uh, Alec Baldwin, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, you know, always be closing. Put that coffee down. Uh, Put the capsule down. Coffee is for closers. Put the capsule down, George. The show isn't Uh, over. Tom. Gene Hackman is young Frankenstein. So what we are competing for donald sutherland as mr x and jfk christopher walken wait y'all did y'all both have christopher walken no mm-hmm. oh? okay uh christopher walken in watch up the butt pulp fiction 
Uh, gas station proprietor, No Country for Old Men. Gene Jones. Great Gene Jones. Uh, Drexel Spivey. What was going on with Gary Oldman and True Lies? Uh, Zodiac, Bob Vaughn. Um, Charles Fletcher. As, uh, played by Charles Fletcher. <laughs> Gloria Foster in the uh, Matrix as the Oracle. That hey, wrestler Bautista. guy. Bautista. Uh, and, and Bautista. Blade Runner. Right. Drax and Blade Runner 2049. And then uh, Tiger Blood, Charlie Sheen in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. What's it going to be? We I do need, think the no three, country from need. old men is the most realistic scene. I mean, I think Gary Oldman is kind of a wait. Christopher Walken walk, watch up your butt is not uh, realistic. And then also you have Gary Oldman is the Rastafarian crazy person. And then, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, also the very creepiness of the Zodiac scene is, is I could I, do let, let's do Joseph. Are you okay for Bob Vaughn? Yeah. Yeah. That is a, that is a, a the great line story. that from Jake Gyllenhaal that not a lot of people have basements in California. <laughs> right, right. Like, as, oh, he, as he starts to make his descent, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. good All stuff. Right. I'm and good I, with the a real person, a real person. Yes, Joseph, it's up to you, sir. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm. In all honesty, I'm I'm good with anything on the maybe, list. Maybe maybe uh, maybe you should check with your wife first. I oh, think I should. Oh, wow. man. See, he apologized and then he goes right back to it. That means I don't you think the sincerity of that apology is like <laughs> put that coffee down. I think it's time uh, for Donald Sutherland, Joseph, or uh, Gene Jones. I think you need to vote for Yeah, uh, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Donald Sutherland. In all honesty, Jim, because I think that that's like such a strong, okay. strong scene. Okay, I I kind of would have liked to see Marlon Brando because you know he'd have been eating some chicken bone or something. <laughs> oh, as he's, the question <laughs> is uh, the question is who wants to kill dolphin? the president? <laughs> <laughs> Why was kind of my dolphin or not? Why are you wearing so much sunscreen (laughs) (laughs) at night? (laughs) All right. Well, there we have it. Gene Hackman, a brilliant performance comedically in uh, Young Frankenstein. We won't see another comedic thing of his until like pulp, not pulp fiction, but uh, get shorty. Um, So Alec Baldwin, a three way tie on that. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Zodiac Bob Vaughn performed by Charles Fletcher. Who would have thought? Uh, Alfred Molina Boogie Nights, and then Donald Sutherland in JFK as Mr. I was Kennedy killed. Who benefited? And exactly who has the power to cover it up? That's a good question. Yes, all right. So let's get the canisters. What? The canister down. The canister <laughs> is for closers, George. You never know how to close that yeah. canister. That's right. All right. Well, let's, uh, George, I guess go ahead with your, I'll do the background music for your uh, your little spiel. Oh, please don't. Please don't. Remember. Are you going to do it or not? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, God, I'm burning. <laughs> Remember, there's always tomorrow.
Here, take a cookie.